The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Let's get into your headlines this Tuesday. Stocks look set to close the month firmly in the green with the Dow on pace to post its best quarter in over two decades, while the Nasdaq sees its strongest quarter since 2001. Asian markets build on Wall Street gains on the back of encouraging PMI data out of China, which sees factory activity expand in June and improving trends on export orders. China passes the Hong Kong security bill in a move that has drawn international condemnation for imposing influence on the territory. But leader Carrie Lam says sanctioning doesn't scare us. Most of America's largest banks complete the stress tests with their dividend plans intact. But Wells Fargo doesn't fare so well, saying it will have to cut its payouts. So a very good morning, everybody. This wretched pandemic is claiming casualties left, right and centre. And the latest I see this morning, Cirque du Soleil is filing for bankruptcy. What a terrible shame. But hopefully the show will go on. There will be a buyer. That's what we'd like to see. And of course, creative destruction is the way capitalism ought to operate. And it should reflect the way markets behave as well as they anticipate recovery from the devastation caused by this virus. But when you look at the performance for the markets that we've had quarter to date and month to date, you'd get the impression that the markets have already very quickly discounted the damage that has been wrought on the global economy. So let me just walk you through the US headline indices and give you a good sense of how the quarter has run and how that reflects on the year we've had so far and what that means perhaps for where we go from here. So the quarter-to-date performance for the Dow Jones, as you can see, is nearly 17%, which is extraordinary and knocks out a number of uh, near-term records here. But as you uh, boil these figures down and you actually have a look at the first half number as a whole, you can see that we still haven't recovered the initial declines that we saw back in March as people uh, began to fixate on just how bad this virus was and what ultimately it would mean for economies going forward. If we flip the boards and just give you a good sense of what this means in terms of the S&P, and I'll just stand in front of this one. For some reason, it's decided not to play this morning, but we'll focus on the S&P quarter to date, up over 18% here with the S&P first half down 55 
percent here. And the Nasdaq has been the story that just continues to give those who go long the technology companies in the belief that not only do they have growth going forward, but that growth represents a defensiveness in terms of where to place your bets in the sectors. And while we saw the the Nasdaq quarter to date with this extraordinary 28% gain, the first half has also been positive for the Nasdaq. And it's the only one of the three major US indices that has managed to claw back the losses we saw very early on there. And those of you who delve into the guts of the Nasdaq and the market will know that this leadership has primarily been around a very limited number of of companies, the big names that have pulled everybody along. So that's a quick look on the way that the US indices have performed across the first half and the quarter. And uh, we can delve into the month to date numbers a little bit later on. But as you can see, the quarter as it comes to its close has been remarkably strong for those who've been willing to keep money on the table. Steve, you're having a look at the uh, European story for us. Uh, yes, my friend, devastating news about Cirque du Soleil, not least the fact that I appear now to be a creditor of that company, if that is indeed the case as well. I was just thinking, Jeff, are, are, are we jugglers? Are we, or could we do our own Cirque du Soleil? Are we tightrope walkers or just a couple of old clowns? Um, I'll leave that for the viewers. Right, let's move on and take a look at these European indices and how they have performed. And uh, very similar story to the broader US markets, the ones that Jeff didn't mention there, of course, two that I really like looking at are the Russell 2K uh, and the Dow Transports, both of which year to date uh, are down 17 and 15% respectively. But I'll take a look at these European markets now. Uh, and as you can see on the screen now, the DAX, uh, well, you could see just then, the, the, the DAX and the, and the FTSE have, have had a, a oscillating performances. Now, quarter to date, the FTSE, the DAX, uh, all these indices, there you go, the DAX up 23% quarter to date, a really stunning move. But year to date, or, or off the 52-week high, I think that's a much better metaphor for many of these indices, off the 52-week high, it is 11.3% lower. And all these 52-week highs, by the way, in case you think I'm splitting hairs, all happened in the first two months of the year, pretty much uh, in January or in February in some of these indices. So the DAX uh, had a, a big rally off those lows. But look at the FTSE, massive, massive underperformance, uh, down 17.46% in the first half of the year, up only 96 Let's call it 9.8 between friends uh, on the quarter as well. So a massive underperformance, only up 10% as opposed to the DAX up 23% uh, in that um, quarter to date. And actually off the 52-week high, the FTSE still remains 19.4% of it. Let's move on to the other major European bourses as well. Uh, We can look at the French and the Italian, but let's concentrate on the Italian quarter to date. 14% 14% higher is what we've seen from the FTSE MIB, which is still down 23.6% off its 52-week high as well. And then the CAC, similar kind of story, still marginally above their market territory, down 19.1%. But I've done a little bit more looking through at various indices again. And you know one of my, my, my hobby horses, Jeff, is to just kind of debunk the myth that we are gangbusters on these markets. Because when I see a market that is in technical correction or even more, more so bear market territory. I refuse to believe that these markets are gangbusters, despite that great quarter we've just seen. So let me just go through a couple of markets for you. And I'll start with the worst as well. And that is the the Greek market, the ATX there. What do we think it's off its most recent high, which was on the 24th of January, viewers? 
Yeah, you know, because we're talking about this massive bull market where everyone's gone over the overboard. I can tell you, it's down 33%. 33% Greek stocks are trading down from their 52-week high. What about the Spanish market as well? Again, one of the top markets. Uh, they overcame their peak much earlier than the British as well. Yeah, 28% off the high that we saw on the 19th of February. Huge numbers there. Uh, the Russian market down 25%. Again, a lot of that, of course, is about the energy independence there as well. Uh, and other indices around the Europe as well, including the uh, Portuguese market down 20% or 19.5%. I shouldn't round my figures because that matters if you're looking at correction or, or bear market. So, Jeff, the point is here, yes, the quarter has been stunning for all kinds of assets as well. I mean, I could go on about WTI and I will do that later on the show, I'm sure. Up 94% in the quarter. But the fact of the matter is you can't just look at the up leg. You have to look at both legs of this V as well. Perhaps we'll be looking at both legs or all four legs of the W, Jeffrey, at some stage this year. Yeah, absolutely. But but that's a fascinating point because I think you do look cross-asset class for validation of the move and the potential momentum running into the second half of the year. And I'll, I'll throw copper into this story because the numbers for copper have been extraordinary. This is the best quarter that we've seen for copper in, what, 10 years here, up 20.26% for the quarter to date. And you look at a commodity like copper as your validation because it tells you that the underlying fundamentals should in some way be supportive of that equity market move here as equities act as this discounting mechanism. But of course, as we know, there's been so much liquidity that some of these various asset classes flatter to deceive because even as copper has been higher, the anti-asset trade, if you like, gold, as we know, has also done well over the quarter, up nearly 11.5%, with uh, a year-to-date performance up nearly 17%. So as we grapple here to understand the quarter we've had and what the next quarter is going to look like, even as people like Jeffries are saying that their real-time activity index appears to show the economy in the United States running out of steam, there are other bits of data that suggest that investors maybe would be well inclined to just remain engaged with the equity story until they get evidence to the other side of the equation. If you want to find confirmation of your view of the market in technicals, you can find it somewhere. We all know that as well. There's a technical analyst who will tell you both sides of the story. If you want to find confirmation of your view of the market in the data, you can do it. In fact, you can do it within the last 12 hours. Let me just tell you, yesterday, pending home sales in the States, way better than many expected. 44.3, big figure. Dallas Fed manufacturing with the new orders component there, much better than expected. Both of those indices. You can look at it overnight in the Chinese manufacturing. PMI is up to 50.9 with the new New orders up to 51.4. If you want confirmation that you're along the market, it's there for you. But if you want confirmation that you are short the market, you can find it straight away. For instance, on that manufacturing figure, which I know we'll talk about of our Asian correspondents a little bit later on as well, City have come out and said, yeah, okay, it looks good. There's no doubt about it. But the normalization of production is way outpacing downstream demand. So it's all very well the manufacturing figure looking good. But if you haven't got the end user demand, are we looking at problems in the second half? 
half as well. So the, the point for our viewers is they have to take everything that they hear on this channel, and I'm going to say it with a pinch of salt because everybody's got a constituency apart from you, me, Karen, and the rest of the CNBC team as well, because there are some people who are desperate for this market to go up. And there are some people who are desperate for that confirmation on the way down. I think at the moment it's stunningly nuanced. And as Fatty Birol said, and Dr. Fatty Birol, the executive director of the IEA, told me on Street Science two weeks ago, let's face it, we're at half time and anything can happen in the second half. Yeah, terrific, Steve. And of course, you'd look to people like Fed Chair Jay, uh, Jerome Powell, Jay Powell, to give us some confirmation. But the reality is he continues to talk about a lot of uncertainty. Let's let's just have a listen in uh, to what he had to say. We'll, we'll come back to you, Steve, in just a bit. Fed Chair Jerome Powell then uh, warning lawmakers of extraordinary uncertainty in the U.S. economy, telling them the virus, quote, needs to be kept in check in prepared testimony to the House Financial Services Committee, Powell will acknowledge the recent bounce back in activity. But the central bank boss also cautioned about the fresh challenges presented by the recent spike in COVID cases, saying any recovery will be dependent on the country's success in containing the pandemic. Speaking to CNBC, White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow sounded more optimistic about the economic outlook. He said the administration is planning to reward Americans for getting re-employed and pointed to strong recent data. Home Builders report was smashing. Retail sales, the job story, uh, weekly unemployment claims, continuing claims have come down uh, quite a bit. The Apple Mobility Index, new business applications. All this is pointing to a V-shaped recovery. Larry Kudlow, California and Texas have logged another day of record infections, while Los Angeles has become a new outbreak epicenter. NBC's Jay Gray has the report. As temperatures rise, the number of coronavirus cases surges. But the window is closing. We have to act, and people as individuals have to act responsibly. One of the largest spikes is in Texas, Nearly 150,000 cases, 2,300 dead. COVID-19 has taken a very swift and very dangerous turn in Texas over just the past few weeks. During a visit to Dallas, Vice President Mike Pence wore a face covering and urged others to do the same. Uh, And wear a mask wherever it's indicated uh, or wherever you're not able to uh, practice the kind of social distancing Uh, that would prevent the spread of the coronavirus. Texas is not alone. In Arizona, ICU beds are at 87% capacity. COVID is going to break our healthcare system. The growth in cases spread throughout much of the Sun Belt. In Florida, there are more than six new cases per minute. Officials say some beaches will be closed for the 4th of July holiday, including Fort Lauderdale. And I'm encouraging everybody, you should stay at home, celebrate with your families, be grateful for the wonderful America that we have. Americans urge to celebrate the 4th safely to slow the spread. Dan Shenneman, NBC News. The spread of the pandemic is accelerating worldwide despite improvements in certain countries. According to the World Health Organization, the director general has warned global cases have yet to pass the peak. The worst is yet to come. I'm sorry to say that, but 
with this kind of environment and condition, we fear the worst. And that's why we have to bring our acts together and fight this dangerous virus together. The uh, Director General of the WHO there. Quick look at the Asian session here. We're largely in positive territory across the Asian trade. Uh, there are a few stories floating around that perhaps have put some momentum into this. China's manufacturing activity expanded faster than expected in June, but caution remains amid fresh virus outbreaks. Uh, Sam has more on that story from Sydney. Morning, Sam. Good morning to you, Jeff. Yeah, so China's official manufacturing PMI for the month of June came in at 50.9. That is a three-month high and certainly beating analysts' expectations of 50.4. Factory activity was certainly expected to grow for the month of June, for the fourth month uh, in a row. Um, but there are concerns, or there were concerns at least, about the pace of that growth, given some of the economic data that we have seen coming out of the mainland over the last few weeks, pointing to an uneven recovery. So this headline number certainly came as a surprise, particularly given some of the talk we've heard about demand at home and abroad still remaining weak amid these concerns about the impacts of the coronavirus globally. China's central bank, as we've heard, has said that, you know, economic growth in China does face challenges as a result of the pandemic. And that's already left factories right across China operating at much weaker levels than we saw from pre-coronavirus days, so fewer staff, etc. Despite that, though, the data showed that production did better in June growing to 53.9, rather, as did the sub-index for the new orders rising, rising to 51.4. So that certainly suggests that uh, domestic demand is picking up as uh, business is getting back to somewhat usual uh, in China. But Chinese officials, as you suggested, are remaining cautious, particularly about those export orders. And that is because they remained weak for the month of June at 42 so, of course, we will be waiting out for that Caixin manufacturing PMI data uh, coming up tomorrow. That looks at the private and the smaller firms. So that will give us an idea of the more broader picture because, of course, we've got to remember that this is just the official data. As for the non-manufacturing services PMI, that rose to 54.4 for the month of June, up from 53.6 in May. That is the fastest pace in seven months. Now, of course, we know that the services industry is very important. China, it is a key generator of jobs. And so uh, this number definitely um, suggests that, you know, consumer confidence is recovering very well in China. Uh, and despite these concerns about pay cuts and unemployment, etc., cetera, uh, which is, you know, as a result of that, um, seeing this sector recover at a much slower pace than the manufacturing sector, as we have seen people uh, certainly tightening their purses. So this headline number is certainly very positive uh, and certainly one that investors had been keeping a close eye on in terms of the economic recovery in China. Back to you guys. All right. Thank you so much for that, Sam. Well, Hong Kong has been trading in positive territory through the session in spite of the fact that Beijing is moving one step closer to implementing a new national security law for the territory. We'll have more on that story when we come back. Plus, uh, for more on how markets have performed over the quarter and the first half of the year, have a listen to the Squawk Box podcast.
If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Welcome back, everybody. Let's just give you a quick look at the uh, U.S. futures then. Uh, after that extraordinary close uh, we saw yesterday for the Dow, what was it, plus uh, 500 points. Um, the indication from the Dow futures is flat to positive, as you can see here, with about 100 points on the board suggesting an implied open uh, in positive territory. China's parliamentary body has approved Hong Kong's controversial national security law. The move now puts Beijing on a crash course with other international powers who've condemned the move as threatening the territory's independence. The U.S. Commerce Department has already begun removing Hong Kong's special trade status. Defense exports to the city have been halted, while Washington also plans to restrict Hong Kong's access to high-technology products. Chief Executive Carrie Lam said the sanctions didn't scare her. For people, uh, we've been in this liaison with um, um, the technology sector, especially those involved in high-level research in the tertiary institutions. Now, we're not going to be deterred by such actions. Uh, if necessary, I believe the country uh, will take um, measures to counter that. And uh, if uh, there is need for the Hong Kong South government to um, uh, support those measures, we'll definitely do so. Uh, well, there you go, uh, Carrie Lam. Um, let's have a look at some pictures of protesters. These are uh, just some shots being taken of the landmark, which is in central Hong Kong. Um, the uh, shots, as you can see, are, are being taken uh, with a handheld um, without a tripod. So it's, it's all a little bit shaky here, but I think it gives you a clear picture that um, there are um, actions uh, still taking place in Hong Kong in spite of the national security law, which probably would in effect be in breach of the law once it's introduced. Let's talk to Emily, who has more on the story from our Hong Kong Bureau. And Emily, um, the law will actually be introduced fairly quickly, as I understand it. Yeah, uh, the details are not known just yet, Jeff, uh, but what we're hearing here from Tam Yu Chung, he is the Hong Kong delegate to the NPCSC, the Standing Committee, the sole delegate uh, that was uh, in the meeting this morning uh, at the Great Hall of the People. It was a unanimous uh, passing for the this new law, national security, with 162 votes in favor. And uh, now what we do know is that uh, they're going to be publishing details this afternoon, a state uh, news agency, and this will be the first time that the law will be fully disclosed to the public. Uh, the expectation is that the CPPCC and NPC Hong Kong delegates are going to be heading to the liaison office in Saying Pun that is in the Western District of Hong Kong Island later this afternoon for a briefing that's expected to happen at 3 p.m. Now, Tam Yu Chung, in his earlier press briefing, uh, he said that he couldn't give any more details or answer any questions uh, because the, the bill or the law has not been made public yet, uh, but it will be in the next couple of hours. 
hours. So people asked him whether or not this is going to be retroactive. Uh, they had We had heard that uh, there's going to be the maximum sentence of life in prison, uh, which would be similar to uh, such punishment uh, for national security uh, in places like the United States as well. Uh, but the law is expected to come into effect on July the 1st. That is tomorrow. Also, the anniversary of Hong Kong's handover back to Chinese rule. And uh, tomorrow would mark the 23rd anniversary. Uh, so the timing of it is a little bit sensitive as well. As you all may know, J- July the 1st is the annual protest march. It started back in 2003 uh, when the then Security Secretary Regina Ip was trying to push through national security bill. This is Article 23. But uh, because of uh, the dissent and uh, the protest, uh, it was shelved until now, 17 years later. And uh, this is the way that uh, the Beijing authorities are saying that this they had no other choice but to restore order to Hong Kong. And uh, this is how why they're doing it this way. They are circumventing the Legislative Council. So what we can expect to happen next is that this law uh, will be passed over to Hong Kong authorities and then it will be gazetted here in Hong Kong and then it will be inserted into Annex 3 of the Basic Law and it will become law. You're looking at uh, live pictures uh, from the landmark as uh, Jeff had indicated and uh, you can see just some police there. This is, uh, I'm assuming, part of the Wale Lunch or Lunch with You. Those usually are... uh, relatively peaceful protests where they come out, chant and and sing. Uh, But you can see the police are doing some questioning. So we'll see if anything comes of it. Uh, But the protest for tomorrow, for July 1, has been banned by authorities on health concerns and on concerns about uh, violence that has sprung up in last year's July 1 protest. So we're going to be continuing to, to monitor these developing events. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.